Ben, I've brought you to the Library of Congress. Why? Because it's the biggest library in the world. Over 10 bajillion books. And all of them are saying the same thing. Listen to Riley. Etc, etc, etc. Nonsense about it. It can't be done. and can't steal the thing. You know what Thomas Edison said when he tried 2,000 times to make a light bulb? Edison. He said, I didn't fail. I found 10,000 ways not to make a light bulb. But only one way to make it work. The preservation room. Go ahead, enjoy. Riley, do you know what the preservation room is for? Mmm, delicious gems and jellies. Et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I thought, that was so accurate. <laughs> Welcome, everybody, to Spencer and Tim Tackle here on the Phantom Done Right podcast. And for whatever terrible reason, it's my choice this week, and I've chosen the movie that I pretty much know by heart, which is 2004's, 2005's National Treasure. I believe four, and then the second one came out in 2007. Yes, 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 because the second one was Greenland in 2005, which I learned when I was working on trivia, uh, which we'll get back to. So, uh, obviously, on Fam Then Right, we cover lots of things. We are a smorgasbord, uh, as a fan called it recently, uh, of fandom content. So, Spencer and Tim Tackle, uh, while we do have rewatch series that uh, the podcast has done, this is just Tim and I's like, trip through the past or the present, uh, where we're just trying to re- either revisiting really awesome things that we loved growing up or uh, we're just telling you to watch something that you might not have seen. Uh, I don't know if that covers everything, Tim, but I think it covers most of it. Yeah. And then we randomly, and then we did a rewatch of Indiana Jones and the Dark Knight because we wanted to be timely and they fit into those categories, except Indiana Jones, we had to watch Temple of Doom, which as we all know, (laughs) is the worst movie ever (laughs) or one of them. So, uh, Tim, what are some overall thoughts on the National Treasure franchise? Yeah, well, uh, so I do agree with what you have said in our outline, but this movie's dated. Uh, <laughs> and what I mean by that is the, the phones and the technology. Wow. They uh, wow. <laughs> kind of t- take you out of the movie a little bit. Because it's supposed to be like, it's, it's we've reached this point where it's not the past anymore it's not far enough back to be considered the past like a period piece but it's also not present enough to be modern day so it's just dated yeah and more cgi than i thought there would i thought on the rewatch uh what do you mean just um well obviously the the big end bottomless pit was cgi but like there was a CG, like the Declaration of Independence was almost entirely CGI. Like they didn't make a fake document? Like the part where he's reading it and they're looking really closely at it, it's like totally CGI. Oh, okay. It's fine. It's just a little bit, uh, 
as as the TikTok kids are pointing out, they're doing the thing where there's a <laughs> "It's Numb" by Linkin Park. It's like every movie being made in 2007. <laughs> Here's the thing: this was made in that era, so like some of yes. the, mm, it's just very emotional sometimes, but parts that aren't yeah. actually like that emotional. Namely, the part where he's where Nick Cage is reading the Declaration of Independence. That being said, I love this movie so much. Yeah, there's a lot of funky things in it. I won't lie to you, but I love it. It's even better when you think about it, like as a whole movie, and you just you think about it, and you're like, he was just looking for treasure that his grandpa told him about. And then he ended up stealing the Declaration of Independence. <laughs> oh, the, the plot and is then just all slight, over the place. Yeah. And then a slight mention for the sequel. And then he ends up kidnapping the president. It's like, is this is this Mission Impossible? Is, is this Fast and Furious it's where it just impossible. becomes more and more? <laughs> I wish. I wish this was I wish this was Fast and Furious. I wish there was as many national treasures as Fast and Furious. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> there's, yeah. There's like only 200. There's only like 200 years of American lore. So it's one of those things where they're, I'm like, no wonder they couldn't <laughs> write a third because there's nothing left to write about. There's nothing that old. <laughs> they're not going to be like going through the Watergate Hotel looking for <laughs> buried treasure <laughs> with the water. The Watergate tapes were hiding. Freemasons treasure. It's like they're running out of stuff, which is fine. More on the Watergate Hotel later. But yeah, critics did not like this movie because the plot is all over the place and very improbable. But I don't care about any of that. It's just really. Yeah, but critics love Fast and Furious. I mean, I don't know why I keep bringing that into the conversation. It's fair, but Furious Seven is is it's not a better movie, I would say, but it does have a more probable plot, I would say. <laughs> like, it has a flow to it, as you know, silly and cheesy as it is. While this is like, we need magic glasses, which we'll get back to. So my only two thoughts I was going to say is this this pointed out to the world that adventure movies are still awesome. Albeit briefly because adventure movies died again after this. Uh, And somehow this movie isn't overly political and it's not. I mean, it is nationalist in nature, but it's not like in a in a toxic way, I guess, where (laughs) they're not too far on one way or the other. Like, they love American history, and there's a lot of fun stuff in that, but it's not, like, crazy, I guess. Yeah, I mean, so after watching the first and the second again, I would say it's, especially the second one, but the first one, too, it's kind of about reclaiming your family's honor. Because uh, the first one, like, yeah. their whole family is known as history kooks. Uh, and then in the second one, their family name is is defamed uh, yet again. And so it's about just reclaiming your family's honor. But to do that, it's through treasure hunting and which uses the the political nationalist stuff a little bit. Oh yeah. And this is maybe the, one of the most American movies ever made. (laughs) 
So let's just uh, let's get into this banana story. And like any old story that we get through, we've got Spencer's version, which we don't have to follow entirely. But uh, it opens with a great old scene, a lot of montages, but I love it. Where little Ben Gates hears a conspiracy theory from Grandpa about a big old treasure and the Founding Fathers hiding it. Uh, Patrick Gates, his dad, says it's baloney. Well, first of all, it's a well-written conspiracy theory. <laughs> so that's entertaining. Uh, there's a lot of fun transitions in this. And there's two awesome transitions in this scene where, well, first of all, it's, uh, oh gosh, what's his name? Who plays Grandpa? Christopher Plummer. Yeah. Who recently okay. passed. Yeah, I was, th- I was just thinking, I was like, Is- was that Sam Elliott and I missed it? Because <laughs> they look alike so much. No, it's Christopher Plummer with a big old mustache. They do look similar. Yes. So Charles Carroll says, Charlotte, a secret lies. And then it pan it immediately cuts to Christopher Plummer and it's perfect. Um if he didn't if he looked anything like the char- the actor that played Charles Carroll, I would say it's the same person. It's just very well done. And then at the end of that scene, uh Ben, young Ben like looks up and it cuts immediately to Nicholas Cage like looking up. Uh, as they're in the Arctic looking for the the ship. All of, this is just a random note, but I'll note this now when they're at the ship. All of uh, Ian's thugs have weird accents. Or they all yeah. talk funny. <laughs> Would you agree? Because there's yeah, the one guy that's but... like, Liberty Bill, Independence Hall. There's the one who's trying to give a, a hint to, to where the church is at. And he's like, prison. And they all ignore him. He's like, could have been prison. Prison. Yeah, yeah, that's that's where the, yes, yes. <laughs> that's like, so that was when I first noticed it. I was like, oh my gosh, every single one of his guys has like this horrible accent. And so Shaw is the first one. That's the fault of the Napoleon Penn. I think, it's the prison. <laughs> I, I think it just gives like, uniqueness to all of their characters yeah that's helpful i guess because the american guy does have a funny voice too he's like give me the document (laughs) (laughs) but it's fine i mean everyone will say this and i think it's coming off of pirates of the caribbean and all their practical effect success and just jerry brockheimer style i feel like too but everything in that ship scene is almost perfect oh yeah yeah that's great I cringe every single time Nicolas Cage, which is his character's name, stabs his thumb. They're like, we need as close a shot of this thumb bleeding as possible. Dude, he lost so much blood on that. Like, <laughs> you know, so much. You know that's Nicolas, you, you know Nicolas Cage's thumb. Because he's a crazy man. <laughs> <laughs> Even in this, he's slightly crazy. Nicolas Cage is kind of the opposite of Tom Cruise, though, where Tom Cruise is crazy about, like, the stunts, but Nicolas Cage is just kind of crazy all the time anyway. Yeah, and Tom Cruise is crazy as a as an actual person, but Nick Cage is, is just weird as an actor, but only in his movies. Yes, because yes, real Nicolas Cage is awfully quiet and just low-key all the time, except he walks around yeah. in, like, giant pink pink leather jackets and dates 20 year olds 
And I'm like, just what is this man? This like enigma of a figure. What what is Nicolas Cage? Oh man! No one At knows. some point, you should watch uh, "Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent." Oh, that's such a fun movie. Yeah, I have to. So, so everyone knows this story, but he has the the confrontation in the ship with Ian and all that, and the ship blows up. And I didn't put this in trivia because I read saw it in the special features and I forgot to mention it. They only had one shot of blowing up that ship. They didn't have enough budget to blow it up again. And so I was watching this with my friend Nolan and we we were joking that um, what if they had messed up? So it was shown the gunpowder and then it would just have to cut to them leaving the wreckage. (laughs) Just like it goes to, it just cuts to black and just boom. Yeah. Anyway, they nailed it. And so then uh, everyone knows, and this is getting into notes and quotes, but the most iconic line of the movie, which is Nicolas Cage going, I'm going to steal it. I'm going to steal the Declaration of Independence. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that's not my favorite scene of the movie. The best scene of the movie for that is the one right after that at the Lincoln Memorial where Riley, who's my favorite character in this movie, more on him later he's just <laughs> he's just trying to talk him out of it and everyone's walking around in their very 90s 2000 early 2000s outfits and he's like this is prison huge we're gonna go to prison right yeah probably <laughs> and so ben gates that's kind of like this craziness of ben gates this is where ben gates and nicholas cage fold together i feel like <laughs> they're the same person <laughs> Like sometimes he's all serious historian guy, and then other times he's like, "I'm gonna kidnap the president. I'm gonna steal the Declaration <laughs> of Independence." Like, what is he even gonna steal next time? Right? I'm gonna, yeah, uh, steal this important flag. <laughs> I don't know. He's gonna start gonna... a national war next <laughs> no, movie. No. Oh God, no! We can't do that, <laughs> Tim. We can't do that. For so many reasons, he's gonna steal something from another country and just start a war. I know, as we've already done civil, we've already done the civil war. So what is he gonna do? I'm gonna go assassinate Archduke Ferdinand. (laughs) I'm gonna, I'm gonna steal the national, the the atomic bomb. It's what it's really. There's they're out of ideas. They really are. Like there's actually no MacGuffins left. They've already done that's the two they, ones they that I can a, even think of. That's why they took a 15 year break. Because uh, they're like, well, we can't figure out what to have him do next. Well, I I did learn that in like 2020 or so, they hired a new script writer to pen a new script. They just started from scratch. So they had written at least oh. one or two versions of the other National Treasure 3 that never came to fruition. Uh, th- that's interesting because I looked up... Uh, so the screenplay was written by the the Weirdlies, I think is how you pronounce their last name. Uh, it's Cormac and Grant. his wife. Um, I looked up what else they have done. Uh, it's not great stuff like one of them was g-force which is like the guinea pig movie which oh what a weird movie 
Don't know why I saw that as a young kid, but that was such a weird. Movie. Uh, but no, it's me like, either. Like most most of their credits are not very good movies. Like th- this is this is their peak movie. This and the second one, and uh, so I, like they did good on these, but I'm I'm not surprised that they got replaced because they kind of got left behind in the 2000s. They couldn't come up with a third one. Ooh, yeah. left behind. Nice Nicolas Cage reference. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen it's that almost either. like I just thought it was. Really yeah, funny. that was. I kind of pulled that one out of a hat, like a magician, like the Sorcerer's Apprentice, also starring Nick Cage. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Too far. Same composer. Do you know that? Same director. Oh my! Really? <laughs> yes. Just takes Nicolas Cage with him everywhere. Put, puts him in a big old Declaration of Independence case. I'm taking the whole thing. <laughs> okay, but as heists go, as heists go, I would say it's one of the best. The Declaration of Independence heist. Ooh, ooh. You, you are going to uh, make me go on my rant earlier than expected. So the heist was was fun, <laughs> but it it all depends on this one scene. Okay, so Nick Cage and Riley go into I, meet I was Dr. Gonna Chase bring and try anyway, to so this con- is convince her of like, hey, it's gonna be stolen. She's like, ah, oh, you're, ah, oh, you're liars. And uh, so then Nick Cage is like, hey, you got some pretty nice coins there. Shame you don't have the last one. Which I have. Uh, okay, that's cool. Good, good plot device. Convenience. Setting up a romantic attraction because he has the coin she's been wanting all her life. Whatever. Fine. But his whole plan revolves around her touching that coin with her fingers. So then she puts that on and her not washing her hands at all the rest of the day. And touching the, the glass, that's fine. The the big problem I have, okay? The big In problem I have is, is she has a affinity for collecting coins. Coin collectors don't touch the face of the coin. They touch the rounded part on the edge. That is because touching the face of the coin brings down the value and uh, makes it deteriorate faster. So they only touch the edges. How do I know this? Because I went on a really weird tangent in high school and researched why America should get rid of the penny. And that is part of the things I learned during that research phase. (laughs) But it's like, is it a coin? Or is it just like a is it a I coin think it's like it a trading like coin. A campaign button. Yeah, I think it's more like a button, but during that time, I think it was like a coin. But it is pretty annoying that they're just putting their fingers all over it, and and Ben Gates doesn't think twice about one of the most precious part, like artifacts in American history, and just I'll just dip it in this weird fingerprint water, <laughs> <laughs> straight out but of the microwave. One th- one thing that this I do like fine. about the heist scene is it it like at the same time compares the two different ways of breaking into the place. One is going through like 
I don't know, tunnel systems and stuff, uh, using a lot of machinery and stuff. The other is uh, more of Nick Cage's charm and video editing stuff of Riley. And so it's a lot more, it's just a really good contrast between the two uh, routes. Routes? Routes. Tracks. It's paths. Yes. Paths. It's very, very sophisticated. It's sophisticated what what Ben and Riley are doing, and it's awesome that they're doing yeah. it just two people, mostly yes. Ben. I will say though, it's just very convenient. I don't understand what Ian's plan was because how did he know the declaration would be downstairs? Because, um, because he, his grandma taught him how to do how to make jams and jellies. And so he knows about the preservation room. That's... <laughs> back, back in jolly old England. <laughs> Delicious jams and jellies. It's still my favorite line of the whole movie. Like, actually, I, I think Riley's humor is really perfect. And I, I really love Justin Bantha or Bantha. I can't remember his name. I'm thinking, I'm confusing whatever his last name is with the animal from Star Wars, but it's very close. <laughs> anyway, ba- he's very Bartha. Fun. And maybe my favorite part of the second one, actually. Bartha. <laughs> like Bartha. No, so his, yeah, his role in the second one's like actually my favorite because he's like trying to betray himself as this big treasure hunter, but he actually was the, he only got the assistant creds with finding it. Yeah. They're like, you didn't find it, did you? He's like, no, I had a hand in, in finding it. <laughs> it was just a really good gag. And then he lost all his money, too. <laughs> You're making me want to watch the second one. I didn't. Wa- it wasn't required to watch it. I was thinking about it, but I didn't. And Tim actually watched it today. Just for this episode, guys. Just because, just for you guys. Tim did it for you. <laughs> <laughs> So, so Abigail, Diane Kruger, we love her. She's great. She gets trapped with uh, Ben and Riley because of the chase scene. And they go to Patrick Gates' house, which didn't mention this earlier, but I love that uh, they de-age John Voight by throwing a blonde wig on him, and then they take it off later. <laughs> and that's, that's all you need to do sometimes, you know? Tron Legacy, take some notes. That's all you had to do. <laughs> Save yourself a lot of pain. But Nolan and I had a thought, and Nolan's just getting a lot of shouts this episode because I watched it with him. He thought, he thinks that they should have cast Christopher Walken as Patrick Gates. <laughs> what, are your, what are your thoughts on that? <laughs> so I, I actually haven't seen Walken in very much. Um, probably the only thing I can think of is... Uh, Catch me if you can. Uh, he was great in that. Uh, but I just... John Voight in this is fantastic. Yeah, he is. But... Christopher Walken would have been really fun. <laughs> I, I can so just imagine that... Put it in the oven. Walken... <laughs> you Walken doing his... His talk with the Sadusky... Uh, when he's kidnapped would be great. <laughs> well, yeah, it just, yeah, I'd be like, 
he stole my car. <laughs> and like, <but> basically, <laughs> the rest of the movie, Nolan and I were just saying Patrick Gates's lines again as Christopher Walken right after he said it. It's like, <laughs> the status quo was changed. <laughs> anyway, I digress without annoying our listeners any longer. So they take Christopher Walken's car. I'm just kidding. My, uh, and another notes, I'm sure you've noticed, listener, that Tim probably too, that my Nicolas Cage impression is less of a Nicolas Cage impression and more of a impression of Andy Samberg's impression of Nicolas Cage. <laughs> the plane's going down! <laughs> but it's fine. Uh, so they find the numbers on the back of the declaration. They go to Philadelphia to read some old letters that give another clue for the special magic glasses in Independence Hall with the Liberty Bell. And Tim, this Not is where... Glasses. Ocular yes, devices. Oh, uh, he made the distinction. Yes. They're and, not glasses, ocular devices. Yes, and this is where, and there's a point I said magic in the outline because we have moved away from realism here. And I didn't really take that for, I took that for granted when I was a kid. Suspension of disbelief, whatever. But like, they had to like pull the, they'd use chemicals to pull the numbers off the back. Fine, that makes sense. But, but why can you see? These 3D images on the back it doesn't make any sense. It's a total like, it's 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 just so ridiculous, and I don't understand how they. This is why the critics were mad, I'm sure, because it's just stupid. <laughs> and then he finds out by moving the ocular devices that there's more to it. It's a different. There's there's another message on it. It's like, what is going on? Anyway, it's very fun. Sadesky is very cool. Uh, Tim, do you want to talk about who Sadesky reminds you of? Oh, yes. I would love to. So, <laughs> I I don't know which movie I saw first, this or Hoodwinked, but I always compare Sadesky I think to the... Uh, the frog in Hoodwinked. He's the police guy. And I always compare the frog to Sadusky. Like every time, I just think they're the same person. I'm uh, 98% sure they're not voiced by the same guy or anything. He texts. Always compare them to each other. And this is just Tim and I's, just for you guys listeners, this is part of why Tim and I host this show because Tim and I have this great huge Venn diagram where the outsides are actually not that big, but the middle is just ginormous for what we have both seen. And so I think most other people have not seen Hoodwinked. But Tim just had full <laughs> confidence that I had seen it and said to me, every time I see Sadusky, I think of this guy. And I just laughed out loud because they are the same character. Maybe one of them is in the Red Riding Hood universe, but other than that, they're exactly the same. I wouldn't have been surprised if they were played by the same person, except... Uh, the frog is British. I think it's Hugh Grant. Talk oh. for another day, but I think it is Hugh Grant that voices that character. Did you see the second one? The second Hoodwink? Yeah. Yeah, I don't remember it. Hmm. Yeah, I know I have, but can't remember it at all. So we've uh, we've suspended our disbelief in the magic glasses. Sorry, ocular lenses. And then 
they go to the church, right? And then they go to a bottomless pit. And they made jokes about, Riley made a nice joke about the aliens helping them because it's like, how did a bunch of people with hand tools build all this? But Riley's right. How did they build a bottomless pit? I love it how they say that line and he says aliens and no one responds to him or gives a different explanation. Because it's like, oh, it's a pause for comic relief, which is fine. But it's just like, what? Like, can we just stop for a minute? Like, how is it actually bottomless? Or how bottomless is it? And why is the treasure room halfway down said bottomless pit? Like, I just, I don't understand how they were writing it. And Jerry Brockheimer's like, don't don't worry about the plot. We'll, we'll just make it. <laughs> and everyone will love it. Man, Jerry Brockheimer is the, he's the weirdest, he's the, Bruckheimer is the weirdest producer. Yes. <laughs> He's like the only producer that is like a household name too. Yeah. Like I don't I, I don't know if I could name another. Like Spielberg is a producer a lot of times, but he's not known for being a producer as much, I guess. Maybe maybe half the time producer, half the time director. It, the only other producer known like in any household is Feige, but he makes good films. Yeah, he Bruckheimer is, doesn't always. <laughs> and I don't even know if Feige's that much of a producer at this point. He's kind of just an ex- he's a huge executive producer. He has a lot of influence. Right. He's not like yeah. some of the executive producers are just throwing the name on there. Uh, I guess another one, which is a topic for another day, is Tom Cruise because he produced all the Mission Impossible movies. Right, but he also was the star. He was also the star, though, so that, that kind of negates that. So that's not what he's known for. But uh, anyway, bottomless pit, very well done. It's something. Uh, so then oh, they gave. Oh, him, uh, speed, this, this is related to the bottomless pit. Uh, I still don't think the bottomless pit is as bad an idea in these movies as in the second movie. The it doesn't have a good nickname the balancing board that leads to a ladder is so bad there's no explanation for it do you remember that no so uh the the bad guy uh mitch uh, and abigail and riley and nick cage get like i don't even remember they get like tossed in a hole or something and land on this this teetering huge concrete you're about, thing you're talking about the balancing the balancing yeah. scene oh it's i mean it's it's a fine scene it adds excitement and stuff but as far as why is this here no one knows no one <laughs> there's no explanation whatsoever so maybe honestly at this point the third one might be the best one just because it has logic in the right <laughs> <laughs> And, oh, this is, I got to save it. I got to save Mission Impossible stuff for another day. We got to talk about Mission Impossible another time. But sometimes they bring in, right, they bring in another writer to help make sense of the script, which is what Christopher McQuarrie used to do for Mission Impossible. And then he became the director later on. So they needed, a, they needed one of those for these movies, but they didn't have one. <laughs> they were just like, oh, it's there. It's just there. 
anyway, so they, they go, they leave through the treasure room. There's a bunch of emotional scenes, but Isabel made me mad, which she's my wife, so I don't want to throw her under the bus Whoa. here. But she said that Riley serves no purpose in the plot other than comic relief and exposition. And this, what gave her this idea was when he was like, it's a fake, it's a fake clue. And I was like, okay, <laughs> yes, that was the purpose he was serving here. But that doesn't mean he wasn't valuable. I don't think Nick Cage could have stolen the uh, Declaration of Independence without Riley. Correct. Like, he, he has skills, and he used those. But in the film... He makes a lot of comedic relief jokes. They're they're hilarious too. Yes. Um, but I I think, but I I think he has a good balance of skills and movie magic stuff and comedic relief. That I think that's part of why this works so well is that the plot is dumb and doesn't make a lot of sense, but the dialogue is really well done through the whole yes. thing, and it's got great casting. So I think that's part of why oh, yeah. this works so well. The chemistry between uh, Nick Cage, Riley, and Abigail is perfect. And John Voight. Yes. It's true. And I think Ian Howe, is a, while his goons are sometimes take it or leave him, I think Ian is a good villain as well. Hey, don't you dare forget Shaw. Ian okay. will do anything for Shaw. <laughs> It's true, and vice versa. They're kind of they're buddies in crime. But Ian is he's a good, is Shine Beans doing a good job? He's a great actor. Yeah, yeah. And he kind of has stake in this. Like he's kind of he is a bad guy, uh, but he's not like a total terrible person. He's just like I'm. I'm gonna get the treasure. Like sometimes there's, and I think I point at Uncharted villains most here, but sometimes adventure movie villains are just like evil beyond belief where you can't even suspend the disbelief to understand how evil they are sometimes. They're just like, I'm going to conquer the world with this magic orb or whatever. Ian Howe isn't really like that. He feels more human. Yeah. He gets a little crazed at the end, but that's because his best friend dies. Oh, I, I actually, uh, the villain in the second one, uh, Mitch Wilkinson, played by Ed Harris, is also very similar in a humanistic way to uh, Sean Bean's character. Like, they yes. both have that human element. And the villains in these movies are fantastic. Yeah. I think Ed Harris was a good idea. Um, and he's like, Ed Harris is one of those actors where it's like, you think he's too old to be doing whatever it is. And he's awesome every time. Um, but the only two Ed Harris movies I can really think of right now off the top of my head are Radio and <laughs> Book of Secrets. I know he's in Westworld. I haven't seen very many episodes, but he's in that. He would be in Westworld. But, There's a movie Westworld, though, right? Uh, Yeah. But he's in the show? Yeah. But yeah, so, uh, yeah. Ian, well, Nicolas Cage finds the treasure. It's some good CGI treasure. You know, we love to see it. That's another favorite line of it where <laughs> Riley's like, you're a big blue man with a <laughs> weird goatee. I'm guessing that's significant. I <laughs> like, I think that's what is mm, second or third best line of the movie. And then his, 
the, the another one that's great is he's crying and no one else is crying. Yes. I thought that I found that odd. Yes. <laughs> Look. Stairs. Stairs. <laughs> but Sean Bean doesn't die. Yep. And I officially know two movies. Tim says he knows three. Because he doesn't die in this. He doesn't die in Percy Jackson. What's the third Which one? Which I forgot he was in. Oh, yep. Was what was he a god? He was Zeus. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I totally. I was thinking Zeus when you mentioned that, but I totally forgot that. He was um, barely. In so, it. I know another movie where he, he doesn't die. I think he might have like a. Oh, he's dead, but then he's revealed later to be alive again, maybe. But he doesn't die for sure. Uh, but Spencer, I actually hope that you haven't seen this movie. Uh, because you will have more brain cells than I had. Oh, no. uh, this movie is Jupiter Ascending. <laughs> I have not seen it, but I know so much about oh, it. Oh, you, you lucky. Oh my gosh, you're so lucky. This, there is, I cannot get this movie out of my mind. Like I watched this movie like over a decade ago and I still sometimes think back and I'm like, was, was he, you, what what was that movie why was eddie redmayne in that yeah what this is such a weird movie (laughs) i didn't know sean bean was even in it yeah he was like this this uh my my lacunas's guardian i think i think he fought with a sword maybe or a dagger maybe I'm surprised wow. Eddie, no, Eddie Remain didn't tank his whole career with that movie, to be honest. Yeah. I think they all just got a yeah. ride off. Like Channing yeah, Tatum, was... Mila Kunis, Sean B., Eddie yeah, Remain. They all went on to better things. It had some star power behind it, but man, that's all it had. <laughs> so just a little bit on influences before we talk about some other things. Uh, Pirates of the, I think Pirates of the Caribbean had 100% influence in getting this movie made just because of Jerry Brockheimer and running off the success of that with Disney. Uh, then I think, I don't know if it influenced in making of any kind of resurgence in adventure movies. I would say, I think Sahara was after this, was it not? It was really close to it. Ooh, Sahara is fantastic. Uh, I always, so... Here, man, I actually thought about us reviewing Sahara mainly because I want to compare it to Fool's Gold, which is pretty sure the same movie as Sahara. Like, uh, same actor, too. But, yeah, that's a that's a different topic. Um, so I was thinking, uh, this is more just conspiracy-type thing, but I think there's some element that was that influenced uh the newish new newer show hardy boys um because it had uh conspiracy looking for a treasure but and also maybe outer banks yeah i was about to say yeah but i've heard heard a lot of things about the hardy boys show i haven't watched it yet yeah i was conflicted about it i loved hardy boys growing up um, it was a good show. I don't know if it was a good Hardy Boys show. Okay. And I've I haven't seen the second season yet. 
And that probably influenced what we're about to talk about, which is Edge of History. And Tim told me before we started recording, he's like, just so you know, I know nothing about Edge of History. And the truth is, none of us do. Uh, we literally got a poster. We got uh, an image, like a moving image, like a zoom in shot of the main actress, who no one knows who that is. At least I don't. And then we know that Riley Poole's coming back. Yeah. Okay. I thought that was a rumor. As like I'm, a I'm, no, okay. he's in as yeah. like a cameo guest star role. Uh, I think it's gonna be kind of a bridge, like they're gonna be kind of following in Ben Gates's footsteps a little bit, and then it might pull pool, pun unintended, into <laughs> into <laughs> into National Treasure Three, which currently has there's Jerry Brockheimer says the script is done, and they're trying to work they're working it's been approved but they're working on getting nick cage to read it and come back not that he wouldn't do it he's just coming off of other things and they're probably farther along than that but that's all we know right now so do you but think I made this a is nice going post to be... on the instagram if you want to read the whole story of the national treasure three. Oh, interesting i'll give that a look do you think Edge of history is going to be like a situation where it's a Batman show without Batman type thing. And then maybe like the last image of the show is going to be of Nick Cage. And then National Treasure 3 is going to be the the new generation with Nick Cage together finding one last mystery or something. That would be fun. No idea. Uh, yeah, I don't think it will be a Batman without Batman show. I think it can be okay on its own. I hope it's a lot better than some of the other legacy shows that they've made. Looking at the Mighty Ducks show or anything <laughs> that's not yeah. like Marvel or Star Wars on Disney Plus. So I have, I'm hoping it's good. I'll watch it because I'm curious, but I don't know if it'll be good. But maybe it'll be really fun. Right. Who's to say? Yeah. Uh, I think that it's too late for this now, but I think it would have been fun to do a little more expansion of the National Treasure universe. And Nolan, and this is the last thing from Nolan and I, Nolan pitched a prequel about the Knights Templar and moving and hiding the treasure. So it'd be like National That'd Treasure be- colon the Knights Templar. That'd be kind of cool. And then I followed up with the joke that it had to be all the same characters, though. And all and they, they was all their great, 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 I'm a knight. I'm going to steal it. I'm going to steal the treasure to protect it from the other knights. To prevent it from the morgue. And then Riley pulls the nerdy guy that didn't want to go to the crusader that didn't want to go to war. <laughs> it'd be fun it'd be ridiculous though yes very much <clears throat> alright it's time for national trivia and inconsistencies and Tim just as always interject at any point in time oh I will uh, so this was the first time filming was allowed in the Independence Hall Tower there was some discussion online that was saying that they filmed those scenes in the Independence Hall at Knott's Berry Farm, which there is an Independence Hall at Knott's Berry Farm, but I don't think that's real. 
There was a lot of fake trivia on this, so I tried to ascertain what was true and what was not. I found two points pointing this out, but no confirmation. Uh, the iconic reflecting pool that's like between the Lincoln Memorial and the Washington Monument is drained sometimes for maintenance. And so they said it was drained the day that they filmed. And so that's actually computer generated water. They said that Forrest Gump did the same thing, but the Forrest Gump I debunked. It's not true. It was full of water for Forrest Gump. Hmm. Which <clears throat> the Forrest Gump thing was interesting because I didn't realize the... Uh, crowd was computer generated so they only had a, about 100 people so they filmed them in front of forest and then they did groups they all moved across the whole thing and they did like 10 20 different shots and then they looped they like folded them all together random note for about a different movie anyway ben patrick and john gates which john gates is christopher Plummer and grandpa they're all named after founding fathers uh, ben Franklin Gates, Patrick uh, Henry Gates, and John Adams Gates. Abigail Chase is named after Abigail Adams and Samuel Chase mixed together. Uh, Ian Howe is named after the British General Howe, not Ian, obviously, uh, in the Revolutionary War, which, shocker for an American movie, British guy equals the bad guy. So I kind of liked how they switched it to Ed Harris in the second one. The initial cut was around four hours long, which actually is more typical than you think. I, Tim and I have found that pretty common for a lot of these movies, just because initial cut doesn't mean very much, I don't think. Uh, the timely shadow clue was extremely inaccurate, which I like they were complaining about this, but not the magic glasses. Uh they'd have to know what date to identify the season and time of year. So there's just like a lot more factors at play than what they did. Y yes, but also the brick that the shadow, the the brick that the shadow led them to had the mark of the Templar mark. And so yes. like it still could have been found without the exact shadow. I just would have taken longer. That's what I thought. So <clears throat> Sean Bean slash Ian drew a little so Sean Bean in the scene where he writes that he wrote down the the riddle from the pipe onto a notepad and he drew a little Sheffield United logo on his notepad uh they're an English premier team he's from Sheffield it's just funny but when asked if uh on the press tour if he believed that real treasure existed Sean said it's probably in Sheffield so he's just just, just cracking about I appreciate that I'm not a Sheffield United fan though uh, ben Gates's watch is worth around eight thousand five hundred bucks. Uh, I don't know where you find money like that for a watch. You could buy a car for that much money. Uh, the bad guys are prepping for stealing the Declaration at the Watergate Hotel. That was supposed to be an Easter egg that I just totally missed. Uh, you can purchase the movie. I don't know if this is still true at the na actual National Archives gift shop. They have it for sale. Hmm. Uh, that, but they didn't actually film any scenes in the actual National Archives because cameras aren't allowed potential to damage the documents. So a lot of the stuff they used to do the heist would also be not helpful because they can't use cameras in there. The interior of the Trinity Church was shot in Los Angeles at the First Congregation Church of Los Angeles. Uh, Diane Kruger is actually Saxony German, but she's from Lower Saxony, Germany. 
Uh, ben, Abigail, and Riley are shown driving across the Benjamin Franklin Bridge on their way into Philadelphia. Just another Easter egg to founding fathers of America. Harvey Keitel, he plays Sadusky. He actually wore his own Marine Corps tie. He It's like this red uh, maroon and something else tie. That's actually his tie. So it was like his character served, but also the real guy served. And he enlisted in 1955 when he was 16. He's just a cool cat. Yeah, it kind of shows his age a little bit, but I, st- I would love him to come back one more time because I think he should. He shows up briefly. Yeah, he does show up briefly in the second one. He's not in as much. Uh, of it. I would say a, a little bit more br- than briefly. But yes. Yeah. Yeah, because he's at the end. I forgot about that. So he's in a few scenes of it. But the president's a little more. He kind of fills that character spot. He takes the rest of Sadusky's scenes, which we love Sadusky. I think he's so fun, and it's really fun that he is a Freemason. That adds a lot of a huge layer to this as well. Like he wants him to find it. Uh, there's a bunch of stuff about the Knights Templar and Freemason stuff being not as accurate as the movie said. It's fictional, so that's a bit obvious. This is not a fact at all. Um, John Voigt is Angelina Jolie's father. Did you know that? What? Yeah, I did. Oh, I, that's that blows my mind. Like, absolutely incinerates my brain. Anyway, uh, in the movie, Ben, if if the treasure is really worth ten billion dollars, then Ben Gates turned down one billion dollars for a finder's fee. Ben Gates says How? it ten billion dollars, and then they offered him ten percent. That's what he says. That he said, oh. "How about a bribe, ten billion dollars, which would mean that Riley got around fifty million dollars." Which I love that cherry red Ferrari, man. That must have been like half of the budget, but I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's a deleted scene of Andrew Jackson telling the the Gates boy, uh, Ben Gates's grandfather's grandfather's grandfather. That's actually correct. I'm amazed at myself that Charles Carroll was senile and he shouldn't believe him. I thought that would have been nice, but it's fine that they cut it. Um, it released on the same day as the OG SpongeBob SquarePants movie, and it beat it in the box office opening weekend. Uh, but somehow it has a 46% on Rotten Tomatoes. And I say somehow, but I actually understand it. Why? I, th- I think it should have a better score than 46. Yeah, I would say so. Do you know... When in the timeline of Nick Cage, Money Troubles, this movie came out? Sure don't. I think this would be before he went into the bad Money Troubles because this was 04. I thought he got bad, got into big Money Trouble in like after 2010. Yeah, I think you're right. When he started taking the straight to DVD stuff was like 2012-ish, maybe even later than that. Yeah. Knowing Man. was like somewhere around there, and that was, that's the last oh, big movie shoot. I could think of. Gosh, Daniel, why'd you have to say that that movie title? <laughs> I had forgotten about that movie until you said it. Oh, that movie was so bad. He's Nicholas Cage is funny. He does really great things or really terrible things. Uh, but yes, yeah, so that movie exists. Sorcerer's Apprentice was 2010. You did Astro Boy. Yeah, I don't know when that was. But that was fun. Wow, I definitely forgot he was in that. 
I mean, he was also uh, I, in Spider-Verse. Oh, yes. <laughs> Great movie. I, I think he's such a fun actor. Like, even even the direct-to-DVD movies he's done, I think he still puts all of his effort into those movies. Yes. Uh, for better or worse. Uh... He, I think he did voice Superman in something, but I don't know what. Yes. Uh. Oh shoot. Um, Lego Lego Movie. No. Uh, anyway, he yes, was. Yes, you are right. Okay. Okay. It is in something. <laughs> it is in something. I don't think it's Lego Movie. Uh, someone iconic voices him in Lego Movie, but it's not Nicolas Cage. Someone fun. But yeah, he does. Uh, he's done that so. That's a fun reference just because he almost played Superman. Uh, he did Ghost Rider. Ghost Rider 2 was 2011. Which this kind of makes me want to watch Ghost Rider, but I don't know if I hate myself enough for that. Oh, they're, they're fun movies. I still haven't seen the second one. So anyway, this was really fun. And I had a lot of fun. I really want to see National Treasure 3 if it ever comes out yes. when I'm 35 years old. That's when that movie will come out. <laughs> And Nicolas Cage will be 75. But <laughs> I don't know. There's like, do we suspend disbelief and have Nicolas Cage have gray hair? Because that doesn't look right, even though that's probably what his hair should be. He needs to have the fake brown hair forever. You know what I mean? Yes. That, uh, that's, yeah. And I, I don't know how to reconcile that. I'm like, I need him to look fake. To, to look real to me. Because, like... He just, honestly hasn't aged that much in in his time in movies. No, because he looked like an old man when he was young, so... Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's tough, because he's, like, honestly, he's probably... I think he's younger than Tom Cruise is. But he looks so much older. Yeah. But like looking up real also, photos of him, he looks too old. Are you looking at the ones where he's playing Dracula? Oh, those are awesome though. <laughs> that was great. He's doing a movie where it's called Renfield where he's playing a supporting role, but he's playing Dracula. And you have to look it up, listener, because there's some, it's black and white. So in black and white, they have to wear more vibrant colors to make the black and white be more vibrant. And so there's shots of him on set and he's just all decked out and he looks just like Christopher Lee's Dracula. It's really cool. I didn't realize this whole thing was an ad. This whole episode was an ad for Nicolas Cage, but here we are. You know what I mean? <laughs> I don't know if it's ad or we're just disparaging him, but either way, I had a great time. Do you have any final thoughts, Tim? The man truly has an unbearable weight of massive talent on his shoulders. And <laughs> one day there will be a spirit of vengeance that will come after him uh, for his undying ability to, to suck off. the blood out of some audience members because of his movies. But sometimes you just have to go into a toy wonderland and be scared, like in that one movie he was in. Uh, but then there are other times when you just think, man, 
Nick Cage is a national treasure. But then there are other times when you uh, watch a movie and you just think, man, that is... Gone in 60 uh, seconds. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Uh, Actually, that is pretty good. Uh, And then sometimes you think, he's a lord of war. Um, Man, that's a really... Man, ah, that was a really bad play into that one. Uh, But in all seriousness, what I'm trying to say is National Treasure and Nick Cage's Book of Secrets... Pretty darn good. Yes. Amen, Tim. Well said. <laughs> Nicholas Cage is Nicholas Cage. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, we'll be back. We're doing a Lord of the Rings bonus episode next week, so you heard it here first. Uh, that'll be fun. There's going to be a lot of madness on that episode, Tim. I don't know how that's... Cole and I have been <laughs> chatting a little bit, putting that together. It's going to be something. Uh, but we're getting ready for, you know, or rings of, getting ready for Wild Rings of Power coming out, pumping some more Lord of the Rings content at you before the season of Rings of Power ends and we review that. Uh, but until next time, this has been Fandom Done Right. Well, it looks like you're pretty much in sync now. They do call me in sync when <laughs> I am at a club. The whole band? Yes, all <laughs> of them. Because was... I know all who they are in their names. I know Justin Timberlake. <laughs> oh. Well, I forgot he was one of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was weird. Uh, yeah. Difficulties for life. But. <laughs>